Good morning. Let's stand together as we worship the Lord through song, emphasizing the amazing power that our God has. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let's sing this out together as we start. Good morning, and welcome to First Baptist Church of Wixom. Thank you for joining us for worship today. Here are a few upcoming events to help you stay connected. We are planning a special men's meeting this Tuesday, October 10th at 6 a.m. This will be a great time of delicious food, fellowship, prayer, teaching, and worship. Don't miss a special start to the day with other Christian brothers. Weather permitting, we are planning to take our church-wide picture today after the a.m. worship gathering. Please plan to stay for an additional 10 minutes after dismissal and gather on the north side of the gym for a quick photo. Community groups continue tonight at 6 p.m. If you are not yet connected with a Sunday p.m. community group, please visit fbcwixom.org forward slash community groups for more information. Community groups meet in homes most Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. In just a few minutes, we will be dismissing children four years to the third grade at the back of the auditorium to our junior church ministry. While there, they will enjoy a great time as they sing songs, play games, and hear a message from God's Word prepared just for them. Giving is one of the many ways we have to worship the Lord. If you'd like to give financially, you can utilize the giving box in the back of the auditorium, or you can give online at fbcwixom.org and click on the tab at the top of the page. If this is your first time at FBC, we would love to connect with you. If you'd like more information about FBC prayer or to learn how you can get involved, you can fill out a connections card online at fbcwixom.org forward slash connect. Also, make sure to stop by the Welcome Center for a special gift on your way out after the service. Once again, thank you for joining us for worship today. Now we invite you to worship the Lord through song as we prepare to hear from God's word this morning. Good morning, everyone. It is great to see you this morning. I want to start this morning with maybe a bit of an unusual announcement, and that is, first of all, a thank you to our musicians for the beautiful worship music they bring to us every Sunday morning. It is such a blessing to just lift our hearts up and worship and celebrate Jesus. And I appreciate our sound crew and everybody that helps us do that. Uh, Last Sunday morning, I heard from a couple of you that, boy, it just seemed like the the sound in the room was off, and I just want you to know that as we add instruments and musicians, it's something that we're working on. I hope that you find it better today. Sometimes I even feel like it's off up here, and I ask the guys to correct me, and so it's something that we're working on, and hopefully you find it more comfortable uh, today, uh, but just wanted you to know that's a priority for us. One of the things we talk about all of the time is our community group meetings. In fact, every Sunday morning you see it on video that we're meeting for community group tonight. Don't miss it. We really feel that this is a vital part of church life and your own spiritual health. Many of us that are involved in community groups have found this to be the key 
to really remember and understand what God is teaching us on Sunday mornings. And so I want to have you watch just a quick video on this subject of community groups this morning. We've been attending community groups for about two years. Uh, We've been going to community groups for, say, a little over a year. Well, we've been a part of community groups for two years now. I've been going to community groups since I started two years ago. I would say it's helped kind of bridge a gap that I didn't know I was missing. You know, you can listen to Pastor Brad's sermon or whoever's preaching that day, and it's, it's great. You feel, you know, really rejuvenated. But then getting that real connection with how do I apply this to my life? How are other Christians interpreting this? How are... How are there people viewing this? And you, you miss that if you don't go to a community group. Uh, it helps me just uh, learn more about the uh, message that Pastor Brad talks about, think about it more, and also help me get more connected to uh, people in the church. I, I'm always impressed by just how other people are, are looking at it, what they're finding, what they're sharing. And uh, it just, it's Bouncing things off of each other is just such a, a better way of, of reading the Bible, studying the Bible, than just, you know, doing it by yourself. And I, I like that part of community group a lot. Uh, there's also the time that you take personally to go through those questions that are given and uh, kind of just prep for that community group time. And, uh, you know, it always leads you into the Word, which uh, has definitely been a huge spiritual aspect for me. Yes, I would say community group has helped me in my personal walk with the Lord. It, what it does, it helps redirect me back to what the message this message was about, helps direct me back into God's Word. Personally for me, it's helped me a great deal because, you know, before I would, I would sit in church and, you know, I would l- listen to the message, but, you know, my mind tends to wander just because that's how I'm wired. But with community groups, uh, I found myself taking notes during the sermon, which is, totally different for me and it helps me to uh, contribute more in the community group that night because if you're more prepared with what's being said in the message uh, you're going to have a more enjoyable experience at community groups. It also um, promotes um, unity where uh, Psalm 133 1 says you know where it is good for the brethren to dwell together in unity. It's going to help you get more engaged with uh, other people in the church differently than just coming to an evening service. And it also is going to help you think more about the morning message and kind of make some more application. For me, it actually helped lead into discipleship, which is another thing that uh, I truly enjoy about coming to this church. I was very skeptical about this because for uh, most of my Christian life, last 43 years uh, I'd be used to going to church on Sunday night and this is something that is different but it has been um, good that it helps us to walk think, act like Jesus and I think one of the most important thing is um, that it helps us to promote sound doctrine. Sometimes it can be hard to take the first step to sign up for a community group. I know that we were hesitant at first, but once we signed the sheet and we got involved in pastor's group, we quickly found out, you know, it's a lot of fun. It's a great way to connect with other people. And we have made all of our friends in church through our community groups at pastor and now at the Livonia chapter. It's such an encouraging and positive um, time for us. And and it's even better because there's people that are a lot older than us, people that are younger than us, and um, you just enjoy it entirely because everyone has different perspectives to help you personally grow. All right, thank you for those of you that helped us with that, Jeremy, for putting that together. We want you to know that community groups are open invitation, it's not a closed club. Um, Just because they meet in individual homes, you are welcome to come. We want you to come. We want you to be a part of community groups, and we hope that you will. I don't know if you're counting down the days, but there's only like 80 
shopping days till Christmas. Did you know that? It's getting here whether you, whether you like it or not, uh, whether you're excited about it or not. Winter's coming, Christmas is coming. One of the things that we do leading up to Christmas every year is participate in Operation Christmas Child. And this is a really exciting way to take our um, church resources and the gospel of Jesus and send it literally all around the world. And I know many of you are excited about Operation Christmas Child. In just a minute, Emily Shung is going to come talk to us just a little bit about our church program for this. But watch this quick video just to kind of whet your appetite for Operation Christmas Child. Three, two, one. When that shoebox is open, they're overjoyed. You can see them shouting, jumping. Look at how much they are excited. This is the first time those children are receiving the shoe boxes. They are so happy. Every box is important because every box is an opportunity to tell a child about God's love, about his son, Jesus Christ. If you get the heart of the child, you will reach the heart of the parents, you will reach the heart of the family, and then you will touch the community. That gift box is the beginning into their hearts. Isn't it incredible how these gifts touch the lives of these children? Every year we see tens of thousands of children disciple. And we couldn't do this without you, so thank you for packing the boxes. Thank you for praying for these children around the world. God bless you, and keep packing those boxes. Good morning, everyone. All right, so that video did a great job of explaining, um, giving you a little taste of what Operation Christmas Child is. Um, But I just wanted to add one more thing before I get into the details. Each child that gets a box for Operation Christmas Child, that will probably be the only box that they ever receive through the program um, because the local churches, they distribute to different communities, different years, things like that. So while it might seem like a small thing to us to just pack a little shoebox full of gifts, um, it's a really big deal for that child that's receiving it. And every shoebox is um, an important opportunity to share God's love and the gospel. So just want to encourage you all to keep that in mind as you're packing your boxes, and I know they'll all be packed with love. Now on to the practical instructions. So you may have noticed when you walked in, we've got a bunch of these boxes available in the lobby, so they're all put together for you. You're welcome to take however many you're planning to pack. And um, we've got little labels on the front here, as you can see, right there. So you'll just check whether it's for a boy or girl and what age range it's for. And uh, like last year, we're going to pay the shipping costs for these boxes through the church's Operation Christmas Child Fund. So the shipping cost for each shoebox is $10. And um, you'll see there's also a QR code that's on the label. You can just completely ignore that because that's a totally separate thing for paying if you're kind of like an individual doing it. Um, but we're going to do it through the church fund. So you can donate to your $10 per box either through the the giving box that's at the back of of the auditorium. Just make sure you write Operation Christmas Child on that. Or um, through the church website, there's a drop-down menu for the giving where you can also donate to the fund. So um, it's also best not to put the donation inside the box because we're not going to open your box at all. The only reason we might open your box is if it can't close. (laughs) We might try and rearrange a couple things. But other than that, exactly how you pack it is exactly how it's going to be shipped out. So any, you know, money or checks in the box, especially checks, might not get cashed for a super long time. So, again, best to just donate directly to the fund. Um, And just to let you know, I know I'm talking about the shipping cost a lot. It actually is really important because it helps defray the cost of sending these boxes that are, you know, all over the United States to eight different processing centers where each and every single box is inspected by thousands of volunteers. They're packaged and ready to go for international shipping. They're shipped to over 100 different countries around the world, distributed to local churches, It also helps to cover training and equipping the local churches to use the ministry partner guide because every time these boxes are given out, the children are hearing a gospel message. And also, along with each and every box that gets handed out, is a little booklet that's called The Greatest Gift. And there are little gospel story booklets that are in each child's language. You might have noticed that in the video, some kids holding up things with different languages on it. And so every child is going to get that as well. 
Um, so even if you're not able to pack a shoebox this year, you're still welcome to donate to that fund. Um, last year, we didn't quite receive enough donations to cover the shipping for all the boxes. So I really encourage you, if you're able to help in that way, that would be amazing. And um, if you have any questions at all, if you're not quite sure what to pack, um, what not to pack, we've got some lists in the back of the table, and we will be there after the service. And for the next several weeks, um, we'll be there before and after the, the main service to answer any questions that you have. And we also have a Facebook group that has some more information. It's FBC Wixom Operation Christmas Child. FBC Wixom Operation Christmas Child. So just let us know if you have any trouble finding that. And then finally, um, we're asking that everyone return your shoeboxes. Just bring them with you to the church whenever they're complete. Um, And the deadline is Sunday, November 12th. November 12th. And we'll remind you of that as the time gets closer. But again, you know, we'll be out there every week if you have any questions. And we're just... We've seen you guys be so generous in the past with your donations and, um, and your shoeboxes, and so we're just looking forward to see what we do this year and appreciate you all so much. Thank you. Thank you, Emily. Appreciate the OCC team and all of their work to make sure that's easy and uh, helpful for you, so please participate. Um, I know that will be a great blessing to many. Pretty excited. In January, we're starting a brand new uh, preaching series, and the leadership team and I have been working on a lot of things leading up to this preaching series. It will be about following Jesus through the Gospels. I've had the opportunity now over the last uh, 12 years about to preach through each of the Gospels, but what this series will be will be a chronological look at the life of Jesus, the life and ministry of Jesus. And I, I know it will be a blessing to you because even in our preparation thus far, it's already been a great blessing to the leadership team. We're really looking forward to it. This morning on the tables in the back, if you didn't see it on the way in, we want you to pick it up on the way out. It is a pre-series chronological Bible reading guide. Now, I know many of you have your Bible reading that you do and you don't want to mess up that schedule. That's okay. If for anybody else that maybe is a little bit flexible or looking for something to prepare your heart for the morning message, this is the series uh, guide. It starts on October the 14th. That is Saturday, this coming Saturday. We'll send a reminder out to you that, hey, the Bible reading starts Um, on Saturday, probably on Friday or Thursday, we'll send you a reminder. We'd love to have you read through this. It's a chronological guide to reading the Gospels. And so, for instance, it starts in John 1. On the second day, it's Luke 1. On the third day, it's Matthew 1 and Luke 2. It just takes you chronologically through the Gospels just to prepare your thinking. The leadership team is using something like this to prepare our minds and hearts, and uh, we want you to be on the same page with us We're actually starting the series um, the Sunday before Christmas, so we'll talk about the birth of Jesus and kick it off with that, all the way through his ascension at Christmas of 2024. So that's going to be a a great series and I think a real blessing to our church. We hope that you'll pick one of these up and follow along as we prepare our hearts for it. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time together today. Father, we're so grateful that we have this privilege of gathering together together for the purpose of hearing your word taught and lifting up our Savior. Lord, we want Jesus to be preeminent among us today. We know that he is preeminent. He is your son in whom you are well pleased. He is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He is the perfect sacrifice. But today we ask that you'd help us to see that in our own hearts and in our own church and lift him up for one another and obey his word in a new way today we love you and we thank you that we can gather together in jesus name help us as we worship we pray in jesus name amen stand together as we continue to worship through song all i have is christ i'm so glad and thankful that christ goes before us in all matters protecting us guiding us and helping us through our life let's sing this out together I once was lost in darkness, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy in life that led me to the grave. I had no hope. 
has done that for us. Great singing this morning. You can be seated. Amen. Thank you for that, Sam. Appreciate that reminder. Thank you, Jesus. Well, I've spent most of my ministry life interacting with teenagers in one way or another through the school or through the church ministry. And so I've come to hate April 1st. Are you with me? (laughs) Teenagers love April 1st. It's like the national teenager holiday, you know, doing pranks on one another. How about you? Are you a pranker? Any prankers out there willing to admit it? You love doing a good... I see you back there. Yes. Love doing a good prank. When I was in college, somebody pulled a prank on me. I was just minding my own business. One of the people who called me a friend filled up a bucket of water with ice cubes and then doused me. And I happened to be standing next to a fire extinguisher. Now, back in the old days at Maranatha... We didn't have the same kind of fire extinguishers we do here. They weren't filled with chemicals. They were simply filled halfway up with water, and then they were pumped with air. And so they just squirted water. And they would squirt for about 90 seconds or so. And so since I was standing next to one, I thought the right thing, the only right thing to do, the just thing, would be to douse him back. 
Unfortunately, I was on the second floor of the dormitory and while I was doing this, and I looked down the stairs, and our dorm supervisor was sitting there talking on the telephone, and he just glared at me. And so I did, again, the only reasonable thing and turned the fire extinguisher on him and hosed him down. Now, young people, hear me well. The story did not end well for me, okay? But retribution was on my mind. Vengeance, payback was on my mind. For most of us, when we're pranked, pranking back is the natural thing to do. But what we want to talk about this morning is when we're really hurt. When you're really hurt. You ever been really hurt when you personally feel injustice? When it brings pain to your inner person in a deep and a lasting way and you want to lash out? You want to give payback? I want you just to think for just a minute this morning, where do you see injustice? Where do you see it? Do you see injustice in the world, the broad world? Do you see injustice maybe a little bit closer to home in America or maybe in your workplace where someone has intentionally wronged you or others? Perhaps you've even seen injustice here among the church body or in your family or in your closest relationships, injustice. And our natural desire as humans is to pay back, to grab the closest thing we can and to make that person pay. Well, our psalm today deals with this subject. This subject, what do I do when I am wronged? I want you to think about This morning, as I speak, I want you to think about the one wrong that maybe you're holding on to. The one thing that's just really hard to forgive. The one thing that if God didn't care and nobody else cared, I would go ahead and give some payback, some vengeance. I want you to think about that one thing today. And this question, who is responsible to set things right? Who is responsible for justice being served, we have this sense within us that justice needs to be served. And the answer might surprise you, and it might be a little bit hard to swallow, but there's some great truth behind it for us, some practical truth for us behind it. And it's not just, hey, be nice, treat your enemies with a little bit of respect. That is not all there is for us. There's some really profound truth for us today. So we've been considering who God is in our albums of worship, this theology in the Psalms and asking the question, who is God and what does that mean to me? How do I respond? Today's message is this, that God is the revenger, the revenger or avenger. That's a more modern term that means exactly the same thing. That the meaning is this, that someone who exacts punishment or inflicts retribution for injury or wrong. Somebody who exacts punishment or inflicts retribution for an injury or a wrong. And this psalm today is all about the Lord as revenger. Its truths are rehearsed in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And as I mentioned before, it has profound impact for us. Nahum chapter 1 verse 2 says this, God is jealous and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemy. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord is the great revenger. Probably should bring my Bible up here to preach. Psalm 94. Psalm 94 is where we're at. Would you turn there with me? Let's look at Psalm 94 this morning. I want to read the whole psalm to you just to kind of give you the context of what the psalmist is teaching us about the vengeance of God. Listen to the words of God this morning, Psalm number 94. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs, O God, to whom vengeance belongs, show yourself. Lift up thyself, thou judge of the earth, render a reward to the proud. Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? How long shall they utter and speak hard things and all the workers of iniquity boast themselves? They break in pieces thy people, O Lord. 
and afflict thine heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say, the Lord will not see. Neither shall the God of Jacob regard it. Understand, ye brutish among the people and ye fools. When will you be wise? He that planted the ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? He that chastises the heathen, shall he not correct? He that teaches man knowledge, shall he not know? The Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are vanity. Blessed is the man whom thou chastenest, O Lord, and teachest him out of thy law, that thou mayest give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit be digged for the wicked. For the Lord will not cast off his people, neither will he forsake his inheritance. But judgment shall return unto righteousness, and all the upright in heart shall follow it. Who will rise up for me against evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul had almost dwelt in silence. When I said, my foot slips, thy mercy, O Lord, held me up. In the multitude of my thoughts within me, thy comforts delight my soul. Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee, which frameth mischief by a law? They gather themselves together against the soul of the righteous and condemn the innocent blood. But the Lord is my defense. My God is the rock of my refuge. And he shall bring upon them their own iniquity and shall cut them off in their own wickedness. Yea, the Lord our God shall cut them off. Would you pray with me? Father, we're so grateful for the truth that we just heard played beautifully from the piano, that we were once your enemy, but we're now seated at your table. That at one time, Lord, your wrath was on us as individuals. We were condemned to die to pay for our sin. And yet, because of your grace, Jesus died in our place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for reconciling us back to God the Father so that we might even come in prayer and expect eternal life and live in his presence. Thank you for reconciling us and dealing with the wrath of God on our sin. Lord, we realize there are many, many people around us who your wrath is still on. Would you help us to put that in perspective today and understand your view of your vengeance and your view of our response. May we respond rightly to your truth today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you just four truths from this psalm that I think are the big ideas in this psalm that have to do with the vengeance of God. The first one is this, that God will avenge evil. In his own time and in his own way, God will avenge evil. Because, verse number one, vengeance belongs to him. By the way, if vengeance belongs to God, it does not belong to me, right? And you. Vengeance belongs to God. More on that a little bit later. But he will avenge evil. I want you to notice all of the evil quickly in this passage. Verse number two, pride. The original sin. How does God feel about pride? He hates it. He not only hates pride, he hates a proud look. He hates pride. The original sin of Satan, pride, lifting himself up against God. General wickedness in verse 3. Blasphemous speech in verse 4. The word in verse 4, utter, literally means to belch out or spew. Have you ever known somebody who just spewed blasphemy every time they opened their mouth? It was like word vomit, like they just couldn't help themselves. They had to say something disrespectful to God. That's what's going on here in verse 4. Boasting in verse 4. The persecution of God's people in verse 5. The abuse of defenseless people in verse 6. Exactly the opposite of James chapter 1. Remember what James says at the end of chapter 1? True religion and undefiled before the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widow. To help to meet their needs. What these people are doing is they're abusing defenseless people. They're in exactly direct conflict with God's expectation. And then very worst of all, in verse number 7, they ridicule God himself. They say, well, God doesn't see. 
He's not paying attention. We can bask in our evil. We can mock God. They assume that God cannot do anything about their evil. It actually sounds a lot like Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember those people? Lot came to them and said, hey, get out of the city. God is going to destroy this city because of your wickedness. And they said, does God even care? Like, I haven't seen him around. Like, does he care? Does he see? I don't think he will destroy. And in Jude, we read these words, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Vengeance. This is what God brings on wickedness. And while part of our heart as humans says, well, good on them because they deserve it. Right. We look at the wickedness of our world. What we're called to do is bring the truth of Jesus to our wicked world and say, hey, listen, Jesus paid that debt for you. The wrath of God was on him. You don't have to endure the wrath of God. You don't have to endure the vengeance of God. Almighty God. It's interesting that the word vengeance in Psalm 94 1 is actually plural. It doesn't sound great in English, but it's something like this that vengeances belong to God. Why would the psalmist say vengeances belong to God? Well, because there's so much wickedness and so much evil for God to deal with. He will bring revenge on evil number two god always attends to the wicked he attends to the wicked and by that i mean he's paying attention god is paying attention he hears and he sees everything verse eight understand ye brutish among the people and ye fools when will you be wise he that planted the ear don't you think he can hear He that created the eye, don't you think he can see? Where did God come up with the idea for hearing and seeing? Because he hears you. He sees you. The ear is amazing, by the way, isn't it? Isn't it an incredible creation? Think about how cool it is that we can communicate with each other at a distance through just like vibrations in the air that our ears pick up. I get a big kick out of my little puppy dog fancy her ears are kind of goofy looking. They flop over like this, you know. Mari was in Florida for the last couple of weeks, and so we'd talk on the phone, and she would talk to Fancy, you know, on speakerphone. And immediately, what would she do? Woo! Right? Cock her head and look. Why? Because that's, that's Mama's voice, right? I, want, I recognize that voice. Even a dog's ears. Incredible, miraculous creation in both animals and in humans. But think of the omniscient genius of God in the eye. The eye is the most incredible, I think, of God's creations. Millions of little tiny electrical connections processing hundreds of thousands of details at once. Nearly 80% of the information going into our brain comes through the eye, which automatically focuses on what we need to see in that moment. You have millions of tiny receptor cells working together to form a clear image. Man's Greatest achievements still pale in comparison to this one creation of God, the eye. And yet, people think they're pretty smart compared to God. They're pretty wise in their own right compared to Almighty God. I actually have an acquaintance like this. Maybe you know somebody who has reached such a level of personal intellect that she no longer makes any sense to anybody. You know what I'm saying? Even her own family. Like she says stuff and I'm like, what? Like I don't understand it at all what you said. But really, really, really intellectual. She is, I would afraid, I'm afraid to say, somewhat brutish. Doesn't think about God, but thinks about her own intellect. And here's what the, the world around us is buying into, is this false sense of wisdom and intellect. Let me just give you a couple examples I know you're familiar with, okay? The smartest people in the world are having a hard time right now figuring out the answer to the question, what is a woman? You see what I'm saying? That's brutish. Even an animal understands the difference between genders. That's brutish. That's like an animal Here's another one. When does life begin? They can't figure it out. 
How did such complex organisms get here with a big explosion in the universe? Like, I just cannot wrap my brain around it. The smartest people in the world can't figure it out. And what the psalmist says is that's because they're brutish. They're thinking like an animal. They're not thinking like the creation they were intended to be. Can I just give you a little thought? You brutish person, if you're listening, there's an eye that sees everything. There is an ear that hears everything. There is a hand that writes everything down. You are accountable to an all-seeing, all-hearing, all-knowing God. Right? We realize that. That's one of the messages that we need to make sure that we're sharing. We're accountable. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 7, The Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe. God will avenge evil Number two, God always pays attention to the wicked. Number three, God allows adversity to bless his people. This is one of those spots in the Psalms where we're cruising along and we're totally with the psalmist. And that's, we're like, that's right, those people, they're against God and they're wicked. God's going to get them. And then what did he just say in verse number 12? Blessed is the man whom thou chastenest. Blessed is the person that God disciplines and teaches out of his law. Here's an interesting truth. Young people, I don't know if you know this one, that Proverbs teaches us pretty clear in the Old Testament. Here's what it sounds like. He that spares his rod hates his son. That's in the Bible. But he that loves him disciplines him often. It is unloving for a father to let his child grow up into an unproductive and undisciplined adult. A loving father and a loving mother say, no, no, no. You are going to be disciplined so that you become the man or the woman that God has created you to be. I always reminded our kids of this while they were growing up. And one of them recently said to me, hey, dad, I remember you saying this and I really appreciate this part of parenting And that is that whenever we were disciplined, you tried to remind us that it was for our good, not your good. The kids don't always buy that, right? But especially a kid whose parents are in leadership needs to be reminded of that. You're being disciplined not to keep you from embarrassing me. You're being disciplined so that someday you become the adult God's intended you to be. This is for your good. I'm advocating for you. And this is exactly what God does for us. Want to live a happy and productive life? Accept the discipline of the Father. You can learn by listening, he says, teaching out of the law. You can learn by listening, but when we don't listen, what do we need? A spanking. Right? We can learn by God bringing discipline. It is totally up to you. Now, what does that have to do with vengeance? Like, how does that fit into what the psalmist is trying to say? And I think this is how it fits that the two of these things often go together and they look similar. And we really have to work at understanding what God is doing. See, God afflicts the wicked with vengeance for their sin because it has not been paid for. While at the same time, God afflicts his own with loving discipline. And they sometimes look very much the same, but they're totally different. Let me give you an example I think will help us understand this. When you see a police car following somebody with their lights on, what are you thinking? Uh Uh-oh, busted. (laughs) Glad that's not me, right? So I saw this happen just last week. I saw this happen There's a cop car, one of our local officers, with his lights on, following a guy riding a scooter, electric scooter, right down the middle of Pontiac Trail, right? And I thought, "Uh uh-oh, busted. But he wasn't busted. That's not what the officer did. He followed him. He followed him all the way from downtown at about 10 mile an hour, all the way up to the apartments, all the way to Beck Road and pulled in the apartment complex behind him and then went beep, beep, like that. So the guy pulls his scooter over to the side, right? And the officer rolls down his window and says, hey, man, 
That's a good way to get killed. It's too dangerous. You need to go home, but don't ride this on the road again. Right? It looked like vengeance. It looked like justice. It looked like retribution for breaking the law. But what was it? It was loving correction. You see how the two can look very similar? And it's sometimes hard for us to know what is going on. And I think we have to ask this question. Like, if a bad thing happens in your life, there's some possibilities. Right? Here's one possibility. You're just a knucklehead like I am. Right? I've done this before. I, I, the tools in my garage are a complete mess, right? And I hurried to put them away the night before, and there's some cords laying out, and I'm carrying the trash out to the trash can, and poof, I catch myself in the cords, and I wipe out in the garage, laying there on the floor, bemoaning how hard my life is. My life's hard because I'm a knucklehead. You know what I'm saying? You lay a rake, teeth up in your backyard, that's not on God. That is on you, Okay. That's one possibility. There's another possibility, and that is that we live in a cursed world, right? And in our cursed world, bad things happen. People get sick. Why? Because we live in a world that's cursed. But there's another possibility, and that is that God's trying to get my attention. And I need to ask that question. Okay, something hard just happened. Lord, are you disciplining me? Have I sinned? Are you trying to get my attention is this a spanking? Because if so, I want to be a quick study. I just want one swat, and then I want to come back. Okay? Or am I wicked? Is this your vengeance on me? I think we need to ask that question. But can I just tell you something? If something hard in your life makes you hate sin more, it's because of your loving Father. If something in your life makes you love Jesus more, it's because of your loving Father. If something in your life helps you lift up Jesus better or long for heaven more or humble yourself or meditate on Scripture more or spend more quiet time with God, these afflictions are given to you in love. Verse number 13 and 14, For the Lord will not cast off His people, neither will He forsake His inheritance. See, God never forsakes us. He disciplines those that he loves. What's interesting is that throughout Israel's history, they were often disciplined by wicked nations. You ever wonder about this in the Old Testament? So here's what happens. If you're here on Wednesday nights, you hear Holden teach on this often because we're looking at the minor prophets. Here's what happened to the children of Israel. God's people needed discipline. So God would use wicked nations to discipline his people, and then he would bring his vengeance on the wicked nation. It's like a full circle. Like God was acting on behalf of his people, but in order to do it, he used wicked people who, again, were going to receive his vengeance. God lovingly corrects his own. Here's Hebrews chapter 12. Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and scourges every son he receives. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Now, no chastening for the present seems joyous. Nobody likes a spanking in the moment, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Parents know this to be true. And if you've gone through hardship in your life that pushed you back to Jesus Christ, you know this to be true as well. You can fix every problem for your kids, but they will never mature. You can allow them to struggle through life's difficulties and even at times bring them difficulty yourself. And they'll grow and they'll mature and they'll strengthen. God knows this principle far better than we do. So he allows adversity and sometimes even brings adversity to bless his children, to make our lives better in the long run. That's number three. Here's number four. God advocates for his own that have been wronged. God advocates for his own. Verse number 16, who will rise up for me against the evildoers or who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Unless the Lord does it, I don't have a chance. Verse number 17, the Lord helps his own. Verse number 18, the Lord holds up his own. It's kind of the picture of some of you dads walking along with your son or daughter and they're just tall enough to be able to reach up and hold your hand and they're walking along and poof, they wipe out and they trip 
And what does dad do? He just keeps walking, right? Kids dragging along. Finally gets his feet back underneath him like, whoo, glad dad was holding on to me, right? That's exactly the picture. Like sometimes we're just walking along through life and wham, we trip. Good thing God's holding on. It's not even that the boy or the girl is holding on. It's that the dad is holding on. And Jesus said this, nobody can let get you out of the father's hand. You trip, you stumble, you fall. He's got you. Verse number 19, the Lord comforts and delights the soul of his own. What comfort there is in Jesus. Would you think about Jesus with me for just a second? Remember Hebrews chapter 11, you read about the hall of faith and you read about these people's lives and their, their faith and what they did and you think, man, I don't know if I belong. Like that list is incredible. These people were awesome. And then in chapter 12, he says this, wherefore, because of this, seeing that we are circled about with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. How so? Looking unto Jesus. He's the author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, looking to Jesus. What joy there is in watching Jesus endure suffering with a right spirit. Look to Jesus. You know, we sung some truths this morning about Jesus, but just think about his beauty, his blood, his righteousness, his endurance. His intercession, his exaltation, his glory, his second coming, his reign someday, his rule over all of the world. Think about Jesus. True joy and delight is found in him. I was reading an interesting story about King Xerxes. He had this interesting policy in his kingdom that he would reward anyone who could discover or devise a new form of pleasure. And you can imagine, he got some pretty interesting ideas. But by his own testimony, he was never satisfied. He always wanted more, something different. Can I just tell you that the Lord brings a comfort and a delight to a soul that nothing else can? He delights a soul. And lastly, he defends his own. He defends. Hebrews 10 says this, For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongs to me, I will recompense saith the Lord, and again, the Lord shall judge his people. This is super powerful because if the Lord defends me, I don't have to defend me. I don't have to avenge for me. What freedom there is in that. There's great freedom. I don't have to devise a get back plan. I'm just going to let the Lord take care of it. First Peter chapter two. I want you to think about the man Peter for just a second. Okay, here's the guy. In the garden, when Judas comes and betrays Jesus, and they're hauling Jesus off for trial, what does Peter do? Pulls out a sword, whack, takes the high priest servant's ear right off, right? He's like, hey, you mess with my Savior, I'm messing with you. Vengeance. That's this guy. He apparently learned some lessons, because in 1 Peter chapter 2, here's what he says. For even hereunto were ye called... Because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. He did not pull a sword. But he committed himself to God, him that judges righteously. God is avenging. He's judging righteously. You can trust him. I don't have to make anybody pay. That's God's job. What a powerful lesson that he learned. And here it is in a nutshell. Can I just show it to you? When you're surrendered to God, you can let him be sovereign. It's when I don't surrender that I get in the way of his sovereignty. I cloud his sovereignty. He's still sovereign, but the people around me can't see it when I seek to avenge for myself. So I think there's three things that we can draw as conclusions as we close this morning. Three ways to conclude the message. Number one, to worship the God of vengeance. And we remind you of this every Sunday morning that the whole purpose is for us to think bigger thoughts of God and to worship him and to praise him for who he is. But can I give you just two specific ways to do that? 
Most of us here this morning would say, I'm a follower of Jesus. My faith is in Jesus Christ. I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. For you, worship God by resting in this truth. Rest in this truth. And by that I mean this, don't lose any sleep over the wickedness of the world. It's okay. God's got it. He's sovereign. You don't have to exact retribution. You don't have to bring vengeance on wickedness. God's got it. You can rest in it. And some of us, it's so ingrained in us to think opposite to this that we think, man, is that, the Bible really say that? Because I feel like I should do something. The Bible really says this, that you can rest in the fact that vengeance belongs to God. Rest in that. But if you're an unbeliever today, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, can I tell you that your response of worship should be repentance. Repentance. You know what repentance is? Repentance says this, I'm born sinning. I'm really good at sinning. Nobody had to teach me. I just do it naturally. I sin. But instead of sin, right now I'm choosing God. I'm going to choose to follow Jesus instead of my sin. And I'm going to pursue him And when I do that, Jesus' blood is applied to my account. The wrath of God, as the song that Samuel played says, is completely satisfied when I put my faith in Jesus Christ. So if God is the God of vengeance and I don't want to have vengeance on me, I need to repent. See, Romans 6.23 talks about this vengeance. It says this, for the wages of sin is what? It's death. If I just keep sinning, I got to pay my own price. I have to deal with God's revenge my own way. And you don't want to do that. Jesus took care of it for you. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Number two, never let your trial be wasted. You've heard this as a political axiom, never let a good crisis go to waste. And you might question the ethics of that in government. But can I just tell you that this is a great philosophy personally, personally. Hey, there's a problem. Something's off in my life. Something's not good. I should pursue God. I should reach out to Jesus. I should lean into his truth. I should lean into his people. When God sends, a, sends or allows a trial, I want to be a quick study. God disciplines his own children in love. The point is bringing us back to him. And then number three, let God be the God of vengeance for you while you do good. Let God be the God of vengeance for you while you do good. This is sort of in conjunction with number one. Like I want to worship with rest. I don't have to exact vengeance. I'm going to let God take care of that. What I'm going to put my energy in in, is to doing good You say, well, is that a biblical concept? Am I actually supposed to do good and just let God in his timing and his way handle the bad? Yes, it is a a biblical concept. I'm glad you asked. Romans chapter 12, recompense to who? No man, evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of who? All men, even the wicked ones. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with who? All men, even the bad ones. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto your wrath. Set it aside. Don't hold on to it. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. What? But I want to exact vengeance. I want to make him pay. I want justice. If your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, Give him drink, for in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Would you read that last verse with me? Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Father, would you help us to do that as a church? Would you help us to lean into the truth that you are the God of vengeance? And because you are the great revenger, We never need to avenge ourselves. Help us instead to focus on doing good and following the example of our Savior, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now exalted at your right hand. Today, everything we do, we want to glorify him and we do for him. 
We pray this in his name. Amen. As we stand to sing that last song for this morning, we're going to sing a song called His Robes for Mine. And you hear around the First Baptist Church quite a bit that great exchange, the exchange message. And this song talks a lot about that exchange. And it really gives us a good picture of what Christ has done for us to avenge us, which is what we heard this morning. Let's sing this out as we conclude today. Suffered me God's grace, drink in His righteousness. I'm justified in Christ. I live, or in my place He die. I cling to Christ and marvel at the cause. Jesus forsaken, God estranged from God. Bond important thing our church can communicate with you is the gospel message. The word gospel means good news. The trouble with most good news is that it isn't really good until you see it relative to bad news. The discovery of a new cure isn't all that helpful unless you or a loved one has the disease that it cures. In the same way, the good news of Jesus is good when it is understood in relation to the bad news of our own sin. We are all sinners. That's the disease we are all born with. And Jesus is the cure. The good news that everyone can live forever with God in heaven, not because of anything we can do, but because of what Jesus did in our place. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated his love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The truth that everyone, everywhere, at all times in history needs to hear is that salvation is only possible by putting our faith in Jesus Christ alone. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Would you put your faith in Jesus Christ today? Would you be willing to pray something like this and mean what you pray from your heart? Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I know I can do nothing to earn forgiveness and make myself right with you. Instead of dying for my own sins, I want to trust Christ and his death on the cross as payment for my sins. I want to repent from doing things my way and make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. The Bible tells us that 
those that repent from their sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in this way shall be saved. Would you believe on him today? And if you did trust Christ today, if you did pray a prayer like the one suggested a moment ago and you really meant it, would you let us know? We want to help you grow in your understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe you have more questions about putting your faith in Christ and we have great resources to help you with that. The Exchange Bible Study is a four-week study on the character of God that will answer most of your questions about the gospel. We have men and women ready and waiting to go through that with you in person or virtually, depending on your situation. Maybe you put your faith in Christ today, or, or maybe you did years ago, but you feel like you've not grown in your faith. We want to help you with that as well. We have literally hundreds of helpful resources and dozens of believers ready to walk with you through them. Let us know how we can best encourage your journey of faith in Christ using one of the contact methods listed below. Jesus Christ loves you and wants to spend eternity with you. May God bless you as you seek to live your life for his honor and for his glory.